Hey, welcome to The Wedge. This is Jenny Walkup. I'm the host, one of the producers of the show. Uh, this is a show about and by anti-occupation Jews and all of the complexities that come with that, uh, trying to pick apart, you know, piece by piece, uh, what it means to simultaneously be proud of who we are and oppose discrimination and violence wherever it rears its ugly head. Uh, today we're going to be talking with Seth and Rachel. Uh, Seth is going to be going on birthright in just a couple weeks, and Rachel actually walked off of her birthright trip uh, this past December. It's going to be a really interesting conversation, but before we get to that, a couple of disclaimers. First of all, thank you very much to Dr. Janice Jays. Uh, she happens to be the mother of our co-producer, Kirby Jays, and also a political scientist who studies and teaches about the Middle East. So she sent us an email, recommended that we speak with Seth, and also uh, brought up couple of pieces of missing information from the conversation that I had with my mom um, about the history of Israel-Palestine. One of the things she brought up is that I really left out uh, Arab nationalism when I was talking about Jewish nationalism, Zionism, Theodore Herzl, etc. So I was talking about that and I said that you know it was sort of growing in Britain and what I was not aware of and she made me aware of so thanks. Um, is that at the same time, Arab nationalism was growing. Uh, there were a lot of people who are excited, excited about, you know, this idea of nations and wanted to build up their own states. But at the same time, as Theodore Herzl is able to travel, you know, from New York to Moscow all over the world gathering money for his cause, Arab nationalists were pretty violently suppressed. Um, so that's something that we will get more in depth into later, but I just wanted to say thank you to her about that and also uh, direct your attention uh, to a couple of authors that she recommended, Ephraim Karsh and Elon Papa, who's a Jewish-Israeli child of Holocaust survivors, and he is now sort of not, not welcome in Israel after having written about ethnic cleansing during and prior to the Nakba. Also, I want to make a note about language. Uh, so in this conversation, uh, you will hear Rachel correcting herself a couple times, starting off by saying uh, conflict and then correcting herself to saying occupation. I mean, it's something that it's important to be aware of. A lot of us struggle with what is the correct language when talking about any number of social justice issues, but in particular, the occupation. No one wants to say the wrong thing. Um, in this case, I would argue that occupation is pretty much inarguable. It's clear that illegal occupation is going on, um, and so that is the word that we use. Uh, the issue with using conflict, and this is something that Rachel recognized, and that's why she's correcting herself, is that the idea of conflict connotes two sides with equal power which is clearly not the case here. Hi, uh, welcome Rachel and Seth. Hi. Hi, thanks for having us. 
Thanks for coming. So I think this is going to be a really interesting conversation. This is also, just so you know, the first time I've had people on the show that I have never met before. Um, so it's an experiment, stylistically, I guess. Um, Seth, you are registered to go on Birthright, and you're set to leave in like a week? Uh, yeah, like Question mark? two or three more weeks now. Uh, I leave in mid-June about. Okay. Wow. And Rachel, you went on Birthright last year and ended up walking off the trip. Is that right? That's right. Yes. I went over winter break in December. Okay. This is going to be really interesting. We're definitely going to get into Birthright a little bit later, but I think first we should just kind of learn about each other and, you know, we'll dive into that conversation in a little bit. So, Seth, I'm wondering what you know about Israel-Palestine and how you learned what you know. Uh, sure. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a college student right now. I'm a political science major. And uh, a lot of my what I've, I've been focusing in just in my classes has been sort of about this conflict specifically. But uh, I think like a, a lot of American Jews, it was really emphasized in, uh, in Hebrew school, uh, in Sunday school, just uh, teaching about Israel and sort of this glorification of it and not really addressing the other side. Sometimes if they were more uh, progressive leaning, I guess, Sunday school teachers, they would sort of bring up Palestine and, and, and the plight of Palestinians. But it was always sort of something that it was not polite to discuss. And with uh, some of the older members of the synagogue, uh, you would you would sort of start some fights if you if you wanted to, to have any opinions about it. So it was it was brought up and discussed a lot, but only really from from the Israeli perspective. So I would say that's when I first sort of heard about it, about uh, five or six, just in Hebrew school. Wow, that's... I never went to Hebrew school. Um, so I never really had that experience. I'm wondering, what were the ways that you were taught about it? And how did you feel about it at the time? Did you have any feelings about it? Uh, I was sort of a, a contrarian, uh, obnoxious little kid. So I just wanted to say whatever uh, my teachers disagreed with. So uh, I, I was always... Uh, sort of maybe for the wrong reasons, very anti-Israel, but uh, just just getting older and just reading more, uh, I always sort of had the sneaking suspicion that that something was sort of not right. Like I, I you know, you'd hear on the news about about this conflict, and then uh, it was just very strange to me that it was never really addressed by the by the adult Jews that I was around all the time. So uh, just more and more uh, looking into it as I as I got older and reading, just being like, oh, this is this is not an ideal situation by any by any means. Have you talked to your family about that at all? Yeah. Um, my mother does not really feel too strongly about it one way or the other. Uh, my father is sort of like most uh, American Jews above the age of, of 40 or so. He's very pro-Israel. Uh, he's otherwise a very progressive, very liberal guy. Um, so it was always sort of strange to me that he would be willing to think that uh, these institutions in the United States were, were corrupt and were wrong, but... When it came to Israel, uh, he was sort of he was he was sort of more forgiving of, of these injustices. Uh, not to say that he uh, he always you know completely supports Israel, and uh, I, I think he certainly doesn't support like Netanyahu in the current regime. But uh, he was always sort of more willing to accept wrongdoing on the part of Israel as opposed to America in a way that I thought was very strange. Huh? Do you have any like sense of what drives that? I I, I really do think it's a generational thing. Uh, I think. 
I mean, you know, sort of, I guess, understandably, uh, after, after the Holocaust, uh, you know, many Jews that, that I, the older Jews that I've met in my synagogue were really, uh, this was their, their safe haven. This was the state of Israel was sort of all they had. Um, and even though that sort of initial idea of, of making a place in the world that is safe for Jews got, got corrupted and turned into sort of this, this perpetuator of genocides, uh, with, with a different group of people, I think they were just so attached to that idea or this sort of idea of, of Jewish exceptionalism. Like, well, of course we need our own state. We're so, uh, you know, we're so different and, and, and better than other people. Uh, I, I think they just sort of had this, this emotional libidinal attachment to it. That's not going to, not going to go away. Interesting. It's funny to hear you say like most Jews or like a lot of Jews, because yeah, I think our experiences have been so different. Um, yeah. It was never, I didn't go to Hebrew school, so there's that. And then also my my family was sort of, I don't know, I guess I maybe had an unusual Jewish experience. Or I always felt that I was sort of on the outskirts of what counted as a typical Jewish experience. So I'm always interested when someone, uh, what we believe to be the generalizations, I guess, Uh Rachel, yeah. hi. How did you come to feel the way that you do about Israel-Palestine? I I feel that there are some interesting similarities between my upbringing and what Seth was discussing as well. I went to Sunday school starting in kindergarten or first grade, and I would go every Sunday until a certain age where you have to go twice a week, which is a lot. Um, but I grew up in a pretty small community to begin with where there were even fewer Jews. So being Jewish was always a really important part of my identity that being an American Jew, I felt made me different from the people around me in a really special way. And I loved going to Sunday school for the most part. My parents would probably disagree with that recollection, but um, I, it was this place where I got to connect with my, a part of my identity that I didn't get to in secular school. And a lot of the focus was on teaching this small Jewish community children. Um, what does it mean to be a Jew? How do we pray? What are the traditions? And there really was not a lot of conversation um, that was critical of Israel or Palestine. Didn't really mention Palestine. So growing up, I grappled more with um, what does it mean to be an American Jew in a really small community? Um, what does that identity mean? Very isolated to how do I relate to my non-Jewish peers? Um, and how do I learn Hebrew? How do I prepare for my bat mitzvah? And what was so important to me was always this identity that being Jewish means that we are involved in tikkun olam, repairing the world and social justice. Um, and I think it's really interesting that we didn't talk a lot about Israel-Palestine until seventh grade. And I had one, it was, the classes were taught by parents. There was one parent who put tremendous effort into creating a curriculum for the seventh graders about the conflict, the occupation, I should say. And um, we talked about it. I was so confused, similar to what Seth said, that I had been hearing stories in the news, but I didn't know um what was true or what was going on because the Jewish adults in my community were not really talking about the occupation. 
Um, so to be confronted with it was shocking. And I felt very confused. And after that class ended, when I moved on to eighth grade, we really stopped talking about it again. So there was sort of this blip um, where I learned about it. And then I, just, I felt confused. Like, what does our Jewish community think about this? If I disagree, if I don't know how to act, will I be, will my Jewish identity be revoked if I disagree with my community? Um, should I keep going or do you have other questions? No, that's, I just want to kind of like delve into the things we've already said for a little while. I think I also very much struggled with being a an isolated Jewish person um, where I, I mean, I've said this on the show before, but I haven't said this to either of you. I didn't know anyone my age who was Jewish who was not a relative of mine until I went to college. Oh, wow. Um, I, I mean... Yeah, I didn't really go to synagogue very much. I mean, I did when I was younger, but, um, I mean, I had school whenever there were Jewish holidays, you know, and my parents worked full time. Um, so I was always negotiating this identity of like, well, I'm the only Jewish person I know. And in that situation, what does it mean to be Jewish? Is it just like, me and people like me are Jewish or does it mean I am, you know, obligated to act in a certain way? Does being isolated like this mean that I am less Jewish than someone who like, you know, goes to camp and goes to Hebrew school and does all these things? And I think that was something similar to what you were saying, Rachel, that I really struggled with is a fear that if I, you know, if I existed beyond the sort of like stereotypes of what it meant to be Jewish, then I was somehow not not legitimately Jewish. Yeah, absolutely. That re- that resonates with me. That's something that I definitely started to engage more with in college. Um, that I realized I had never really heard, especially adult Jews um, in America, talk critically about Israel-Palestine or, or the Israeli government. And so when I heard peers even not especially non-Jewish peers criticizing the Israeli government. I didn't know whether or not I could say anything or if that was, if they're saying that was some sort of unintentional act of anti-Semitism, which is opening a whole other conversation um, that we could go into. But it wasn't until I went to a J street convention in college that I realized there is a whole community of American Jews who do not support the decisions, actions of the Israeli government. And that saying that does not mean I'm not Jewish or that I'm not good enough to be a Jew. Um, and it was shocking to me, striking to me that I could get to be a junior in college before I had that experience. And I think that really is a powerful um, message and, and feeling to have young Jews growing up not knowing whether or not they can question, which to me is the most fundamental part. Yeah, I definitely felt for a period of time like, well, if I have to give up my politics, I don't want to be Jewish. Then it's not important to me that I'm Jewish if um, 
in order to be Jewish, I have to, like, not speak out against human rights violations, basically. Um, and that, I mean, that was basically how I felt uh, after I went on a second trip to Israel after Birthright. I came back and I worked at a Jewish summer camp for uh, summer, and then I was like, I'm done. Like, I quit. I quit Jews. <laughs> um, and I basically didn't come back to it for years because I was just like, so... I didn't come back to it, yeah, until I found a community of Jewish people who were willing to talk about it, basically. Well, something that's been uh, sort of disheartening to me along those lines recently, uh, I'm in a, I attend a Catholic university right now. I'm an undergrad, and uh, so I, I was really excited because we have to take these uh, a, a mandatory religion class to graduate. And I was like, oh, I'm going to have to... I'm going to do some Catholic stuff, with, which I don't know. I, mean, I think the philosophy is interesting, but then I saw there was a, a Jewish literature course, and I was really excited because, uh, I, you know, this would it's it's uh, sort of a liberal artsy university, so I knew, oh, we're definitely going to talk about Israel-Palestine stuff, and I'm finally going to be around uh, young Jews again that will be sort of uh, enthusiastic to talk about uh, being a, a young Jew and being anti-Zionist. And it was just really strange to me. How'd that go? Uh, very poorly. Uh, they were... <laughs> they were not a, sorry i don't uh they were uh they were not a very big fan of me uh be, you know saying anything even remotely anti-zionist um and you know they were all like smart nice people that were all progressive sort of like my father like they were all these people some of them even like called themselves a uh, like socialists and everything but they were still very pro-zionist and uh even some of them that would admit that uh you know, they didn't like Netanyahu or whatever recent stuff. They would still ultimately always come back to the necessity of, of the state of Israel and Zionism. And it was, I don't know, it was really disheartening because I could, uh, I, re I really wanted them to like me, I guess. It was, you know, a room full of young Jews at this Catholic university. And by, oh, I'm really going to get along with these people. And it was, uh, I don't know, it was sort of a bummer. Aw, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all I right. think sometimes I think about the ways that like, uh, in order to count as as Jews, we flatten ourselves into as close to what the sort of like stereotype of acceptable Judaism is um, in order to to feel like we count. And sometimes I think that means um, not questioning. I mean, a lot of times I think a lot of that is in not questioning at least, uh, yeah, Israel and the occupation. I... When I was, I mean, and this is just diving a little bit into questions about, is it anti-Semitic to, um, to question. When I was about to go on Birthright, and I, honestly, I was really excited about it because, yeah, as I mentioned, I hadn't really known any Jewish people my age, and I just, like, wanted to explore what it meant to be Jewish. I was really confused about it at that time in my life. And I was, uh, I went my freshman year of college and, um, you know, I came home from college before I was leaving and I, I was talking to someone who I considered to be kind of a mentor in the peace and justice community. And I was with a, you know, a table of friends and um and I mentioned that I was going on this trip and he like stopped and he stopped the room and he was like 
well, you know what that trip is, right? And I was like, I mean, yeah, it's a free trip to Israel, <laughs> right? And he was like, no, like, that's a trip that is meant to, like, shut down conversation and you shouldn't be going on this trip and all of these things. And I felt really, I don't know, attacked almost and embarrassed to be because the way that I was thinking about this trip was like, this is the way that I'm going to connect to being Jewish. I felt like being told that I shouldn't go on the trip was an attack on my right to be Jewish and to be in political spaces, left political spaces at the same time. And, um, you know, in retrospect, I think, I do honestly think that some of what was driving that reaction was, was a little bit of anti-Semitism. Um, and at the same time, I think that, um, the advice of maybe don't go on birthright was potentially maybe something I should have taken. I don't know. I'm definitely still conflicted about it, but, um, yeah, I just remember having this moment being like, uh, is this, I'm not sure what to think about this. I feel weird about it. Um, well, uh, I don't know. It just, yeah. Uh, so, Go ahead. Oh, something. Uh, something I've been thinking about a lot uh, in in the days leading up to this is um, there's a really great uh, Washington Post op-ed columnist uh, named Elizabeth Brunig, and uh, and she's a a fairly devout Catholic, and and she said something recently uh, that I thought was really helpful. She said, uh, "My theology has always been, uh, or my politics have always been downwind of my theology." You know, she she's a, a socialist, and she said that. Uh, the, the reason she came to socialism was, was through was through God. And um, and that's something I, I really agree with. I think a lot of the reason I, I'm not anti-Zionist in spite of my Judaism, I'm anti-Zionist because of my Judaism. I think uh, I think we are all, I earnestly think we are all made in God's image and, and we shouldn't, uh, and we should respect every human life. And I, I really think the state of Israel is, is very uh, antithetical to sort of the teachings of, of Judaism in that way. I think that makes so much sense that we are all influenced by the lessons and teachings that our family and the people around us who are helping us grow when we're young, that influences our worldview. And um, it sounds like for a lot of us, we grow up with very um, clear teachings about religion and the role that that has on, on how we see the world. Um and I think what's in conflict is when we don't get clarity from those around us about what our theology says about certain things. So if our community is not talking to us about Israel, Palestine, it's really hard to know what is our theology, what does our religion say about this issue? And if I don't know and form my own opinion and it turns out not to be what our religion says, then am I still a good Jew? Um, I, I just think that like ties in what we were talking about so perfectly. So let's, yeah, let's just dive into talking about birthright. I guess we're already kind of talking about it. Uh, Ooh, can I Seth, like, sort of how you feel? Yes. Sorry. Yes. What I, what the way that I wanted to tie it together was saying that part of the messaging that I got on my birthright trip when I went in December was that there was one Jewish perspective 
and that the, the goal of Brick Right is to show American Jews the Israeli Jewish perspective. And that was very confusing to me because I have heard the expression and I think it's so true. There are as many ways of being Jewish as there are Jews. And I'm sure that applies to not just Jews. Um, but to be told, oh, there's only one perspective or there's only one identity to the situation, the conflict, sorry, the occupation. Um, it was really striking and made me feel like, okay, this is not my community. There is an agenda here and it does not align with mine. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's isolating to be told that you have to be part of a monolith to be part of the community. And like, yeah, I think not only was the message of the birthright trip I was on, there's only one way to be an Israeli Jew. It was, there's only one way to be an American Jew, um, which was extra confusing for me. Um, as someone who, you know, I was really trying to figure out what it meant to be an American Jew. And that was like, I didn't even know what to do with that. Anyways, Seth, how you feeling about going on birthright? I feel, uh, well, I, I, I'm excited. I, I'm going uh, with, with my best friend who, who I met in Hebrew school. Uh, and, and she is also uh, anti-occupation. So I know I will at least not be alone uh, with these with these views, but I am also uh, I am worried, I guess, about sort of being in conflict with the people I'm around. Um, but uh, but like I said, I am I am you know at, at least somewhat religious, so I am looking forward to you know seeing these holy sites, even if though I wish um, the government that was in charge of these sites were were were, were doing were not uh, evil. But I, I think the sites themselves still. Uh, <laughs> you know, carry a lot of religious import and, and I'm excited to see them. That's cute to go with your Hebrew school friend. That's nice. Yeah. What like prompted you to make the decision to go on birthright? What was your thought process when you were registering for it? Uh, I, she sort of, my, my friend I'm going with, uh, was like, we should just go this year and get it out of the way when we are, uh, still like in our undergrad and, and have uh, a little more time in the summer. Uh, but it, I, I guess, in in terms of of going, I am conflicted because, like, I have all these qualms with the state of Israel, but at the same time, I also have qualms with the American government, and I'm still here, and I still pay taxes and everything. And uh, although this is a voluntary thing, you know, I, I know I'm not going to go and, and join the IDF or anything. So I just figure I can I can get the free trip. Uh, Listen, you say that now, you will be shocked by how many people on your trip stay after, and then end up joining the IDF. I predict it's at least three. Oh, my God. Out of the 40. That is, uh, I, I really cannot imagine that. Just being, I don't know, just being an American and, and, and just, uh, I don't know, deciding to spend two years of your life doing that seems seems very sort of ridiculous to me. But, uh, I mean, you're right. I, I've known people that have, that have done that. I will, I'll share an embarrassing yeah, I mean, story that, I went yes. to Israel for the first time when I was 16 and I went for a summer and I had known people who had gone on this trip and I was very, very excited. And they warned me it's an amazing summer, the best summer you'll ever have, but it is sort of a propaganda trip. Uh, you're taking classes, but really they want you to fall in love with Israel and maybe move there. And I was 16 and I laughed and I said, I got that. Like I know how to tune out the bias and the propaganda and 
even though I went in knowing that that was the experience I was walking into, somehow by the end of the summer, I was considering joining the IDF. I had had such an incredible time. I had been exposed to so much um, really interesting, you know, conversation, but it was very one-sided. And part of that, I I want to believe, is because I was only 16, um, and now I wouldn't fall prey to that. But I think it's really easy to discredit how powerful the narratives are and the propaganda is. Um, this is not to say, Seth, that you're going to come back and be ready to make Aliyah and move there. But I just wanted to add that I really do understand um how compelling and powerful those narratives are and how enticing it is, especially when you grow up in an isolated Jewish community or isolated from other Jews to feel all of a sudden that you're in this place and there's all of these Jews around you. And that was so compelling to me at 16. Yeah. Well, what's sort of interesting to me uh, is how they sort of have pivoted it to be um, because I, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, socialist adjacent i'll say but i I feel like most american jews are are on the left like there's sort of a history of jews voting democrat and everything and uh, oh pretty much in any circumstance saying most jews is something i would caution against but i think that there are quite a few american jews on the right and prominent ones as well Mm -hmm. that's true I, I guess I, I should have made that to uh, American Jews that that I have in the in the, in the medium sized town I am from have interacted with uh, would be a more accurate way of, of saying that. But uh, but uh, just just how they've sort of sort of made Israel to they sort of make it sound really progressive. Like they've I've seen a sort of seen a lot of messaging about uh, how how Tel Aviv has all the all these uh, this, this sort of this queer community and how uh, it's really empowering that they let women in in the army and everything and uh i don't know it's, around uh, israel or not, to, not to drop this word too quick but it is it is sort of very strange and, and neoliberal uh just the, the messaging i guess i've seen around uh, around it uh as of late uh, i guess sort of both uh i i guess i was when i was signing up for the different trips like there was one option that was like uh que- the queer trip like this is the, a trip for for queer jews and it was just sort of strange to me how you know, we can have these progressive ideas and, and uh, you know, really they can sort of present themselves as being pro-gay and pro-feminist and everything while at the same time uh, doing the, these very nefarious uh, occupying things. I don't know. It's just weird that they can, uh, strangely, that they can hold those two ideas in their head at the same time. Are you familiar with the term pinkwashing? Pinkwashing? Uh, no, what is that? Are you familiar with the term greenwashing? No. Okay, great. All right, we're going to start there and then move forward. Uh, so... Greenwashing is basically, uh, like, pretending or presenting a product as eco-friendly in order to sell more of it. Mm. Um, so it's, like, utilizing this sort of, like, environmentalism to further capitalism, right. typically. Pinkwashing, something that Israel is particularly guilty of, but I would say, like, yeah, we're coming up around Pride right now. Uh, you will see this everywhere. Uh, pinkwashing is... Um, so there, there's a symbol of a pink triangle that has been used to represent uh, particularly trans and also 
uh, gay communities for a long time. And pinkwashing is basically doing that, but with LGBTQ stuff, saying like, hey, we're queer friendly, and that, you know, um, is a selling point. And I think that that's something that Israel is guilty of, but also like Target, (laughs) right? Target puts out all these like pride t-shirts or like and they have all the staff wear the pride t-shirts and that's supposed to make you want to buy more things from target um i think that sometimes the the pink washing particularly of tel aviv and saying it's like you know it's the coolest gayest city in europe is more or less what i was told on birthright um yeah definitely i guess yeah there's a really good episode of transparent um, titled Pinkwashing, if you want to dive into that in a cultural context. Ooh, nice. Huh. What, what an interesting show. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it, actually. I just kind of know what what the falling out on that was. Um, yeah. I think that's a really apt point, Seth. So apt that there's already a name for it. <laughs> um Rachel, do you have any, I mean, you were just on birthright this past December or the year before? This past December, 2018. Um, When you were registering for that, do you remember what you were thinking or what was motivating you? I similarly was um, hesitant about going. I had uh, a friend from college that I hadn't seen in a few years since I'm in grad school now. And he reached out to me and asked if I would want to go on a trip with him on birthright. And having gone on a trip when I was 16, I had been ineligible for birthright for a while, but became eligible again. And I thought, oh, this could be a really interesting opportunity to go experience something that I've heard so much about for years and do it with a friend who knows me pretty well um, and to see what the trip is really like. So I was definitely concerned because of the things I had heard about um, in the past, but I wasn't really sure what it was going to be like. Yeah, I mean, I guess this is a good time to delve into what happened on your birthright trip. Yeah. Um, so I showed up at the airport and there were 40 other Jews. It was a big trip. And we... Sorry, there were 39 other Jews? I think there were actually maybe 43. We had a very big trip, which oh, we somehow wow. we somehow managed to fit on one bus in Israel. That's incredible. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Sorry no. to sass you. Continue. Yeah, it's a it's a big trip. There are so many people who go on these trips. And it's something that I had just assumed from a young age that I would one day go on. Um, and when we got to the airport, there were some, if not now, people um, handing out information at the airport. And they had maps with the green line and an article about a family in an Arabic community who were being displaced in Jerusalem in Silwan. And so we, my friend and I read this article and immediately were like, we need to talk about this. This is exactly what we were concerned about not talking about on our trip. 
And so as we were waiting to board the plane, we started, you know, trying to talk to people like, did you read this article? Isn't this absolutely distressing? And right off the bat, I could tell that people were really, really hesitant to engage. There was either this feeling that, oh, we don't have enough information or why are you talking about this? This is, this is vacation. Um, so right off the bat, I was a little worried. Should I keep going? Yes, I want to hear the whole story. Okay, the whole story. So we got to Israel. We had two American tour guides. Um, is that what they're called? And they're, you know, young. This trip was a tri- leaders. trip leaders. Thank you. They're the trip leaders. And this is a trip for people, I think, 22 to 26. So it was a nice age range. Our trip leaders were just older or in that age range as well. And when we got to Israel, we met our tour guide and his really older man named Maxi. And he has led over 100 birthright tours at this point in his career. So wherever we went in Israel, um, we would run into other birthright tour guides who would say, you have Maxi. He's the best birthright tour guide. Um, That's so funny. Can I ask you a question? Of course. What was the first thing they said to you when you got on the bus? Um, oh, that's a good question. I think Shalom probably. Okay, after that. Um, was it perhaps, because this is the first thing that they said to us when I got on the bus at my birthright trip, and I was very distressed. It put me on the extra wrong foot. It was, welcome home. Ooh, they probably said that. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that that is the messaging that... Even if I don't know if they said that right away, but that is absolutely the goal of this trip. And and Maxie was fairly transparent about the goal of the trip. It's telling the American or the Jewish perspective of Israel. It's showing you the highlights, the beautiful things about the country, and they're trying to sell you on the trip on the country. So that was definitely very clear from the beginning. When we drove to basically straight to the Golan Heights in Israel, did not talk much about the history of that land or the questionable authority of who has control of that land and um, spent several hours outside being welcomed, drinking wine, doing some weird ritual cult-like ceremony where we were now suddenly all family. Oh. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that first night we were gathered at the kibbutz where we were staying and Maxi ran over the itinerary for the trip. And he talked about how there are four sacred sites in Israel that are important to the Jews. And we will be going to three of them. Can I tell you what the four are? They told me this on birthright too. Please. Okay. Um, Let's see if I, so they represent air, fire, water, and earth, right? Mm-hmm. You have Tzfat, which is air. Jerusalem, which is fire. I feel like maybe Haifa is water, but it could be Tel Aviv. And then there's one which is earth that I don't remember. I think that's Hebron. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. So we didn't really go, maybe he went over what they all signified, but basically he said, we'll be going to three of the four. And one of them, 
he did not explicitly mention is in the occupied territories. So I, I felt like that was important information that my peers should know. And I raised my hand and asked, oh, is there a reason why we're not going um, to the fourth? And he very deftly um, sidestepped that potential landmine and just said, there are so many things to do in Israel. You're only here for 10 days. We couldn't possibly get to everything. But the real reason is that <laughs> birthright is not going to take us into any occupied land. And um, at least outside of the the borders and they he was not going to acknowledge that. So that tone was that very early on. Mm-hmm. Ironic that you are in the Golan Heights and he's sidestepping the landmines because the one thing I remember about the Golan Heights, and I was looking at pictures of my birthright trip and yeah, all I remember is like, we went to this weird military site in the Golan and we went to a winery as well. And there was goat cheese Um, Mm -hmm. and then some of the people did yoga at the winery, but like everywhere outside of this winery was marked with like, don't trespass. There are landmines here. Exactly. And that was not not really discussed. It's very hard not to see that. And yet it was not ever mentioned in a, a critical way. We were supposed to go to the winery, but we landed too late. So it's funny that that is still on the itinerary. We yeah, did I have make another it. question. Mm-hmm. I want to compare points about... Uh, uh, so, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the town that we were staying in. Um, I'm sure it was the same place. And I have talked to other people who went on Birthright, and they also stayed at the same hotel, which is this hotel, and it's by the Sea of Galilee. Um, and I can't remember the name of the hotel, but did you stay by the Sea of Galilee? We actually stayed further north. It might be one of the kibbutz most far north. Oh, we Mm -hmm. did not go to, we did not stay at a kibbutz. But the hotel we were staying at, there was this guy, Ramon, who worked there, and he, like, made it a point to try and make out with as many of the women on the birthright trip as possible. And I remember him, like, taking us up on the roof, like, a bunch of people up on the roof and being like, yeah, I'll show you Israel. It's going to be so great. I'm going to teach you some Krav Maga moves. It's an excuse to try and hold your hand, by the way. Uh, And, you know, him, like, trying to take everyone to go skinny dipping in the lake and, like, all of these things. And I was like, wow, this guy's really, like, you know, horny for it or whatever. And then I found out that, first of all, he successfully made out with three people on my trip. And then later I found out talking to other people that um, that he was creeping on uh, all the trips. I had a boss recently that was, uh, that was also Jewish and uh, he knew I was going on. Multiple people have the same story about dating somebody. And uh, I was was talking to him about going on birthright and he's like, Oh, well you're uh you, you, you know, you have a partner, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, well, you know, that's really the sort of trip you want to be single for. Uh, so uh, I've definitely gotten some some messaging from from old, from like middle-aged Jewish men that, uh, that there is some, some ulterior motives for the young men on this trip that I've sort of also felt very weird about. Ramon was not on the trip. He was the dishwasher. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. However, there was a lot of cheating on that trip, I will tell you. Not good. 
I was not privy to all of the drama because I did leave my trip early, but I will say that the tone was similarly set the first night we got there. We're in our trip leader. The ver- we hadn't even gone over everyone's names yet. And the trip leader said, okay, we're going to go around, say names and what musical instrument you are, something like that. And whether you're red light, green light, or yellow light, signifying your wow. relationship status. What is yellow light? What does that middle so, ground look like? Yeah, I have that. I have a question about yellow light. I think everyone had questions about it. Exactly. But that that's the tone. And whether it's set by the people who are running your trip or whether it's your peers or the IDF soldiers who join your trip, um, that is absolutely part of the goal is to make you fall in love or, you know, just want to, to maintain your connection. Oh, totally. And, you know, the pressure from that also comes from family. When I came home, from birthright and I was showing my Bobby pictures of, you know, me in Israel doing this thing and doing that thing. She would like look at every picture because especially at that age, I had mostly guy friends. It was just like kind of my personality and who I gravitated towards for friendship and felt comfortable with. And so there are all these pictures of like me and, you know, one or two guys that I was friends with, like smiling next to something. And each one of them, my Bobby would be like, what about her? Or what about him? What about him? Because my friend's granddaughter, she went on birthright and she came back with a boyfriend. And I was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry to interrupt your story. Continue, Rachel. So you're in the Golan Heights, sidestepping landmines, literally and figuratively. Exactly. And one of the things Maxie likes to lecture us on the bus as we were driving from place to place. And I will say that I think it's intentional that we were sort of shepherded around without being told exactly where we were going or what the names of the places were. It, it, for me, it was a very disconcerting feeling to just be shepherded around and not, not know where I was, not really understand the context, except for what our tour guide decided to share with us. But I, I do think that that's part of the goal is to really curate an experience that's controlled. Um, and so Max, and you're too tired to ask questions or to, exactly. you know, do research on your own or explore things on your own. Own. You yeah. occasionally get like half an hour to wander around, but that's that's about the most of your alone time. Exactly. Um, and Maxi spent a lot of the time talking about the etymology of words and things that just really weren't didn't seem very related to the political situation or thinking critically about where we were. Um, so he spent a lot of time talking about as we're in the Golan Heights and driving past the Sea of Galilee to a hot springs where we spent several hours. Um, the, I went to that hot spring. It's like a crappy pool. Yeah, it is a very bizarre place to spend so many hours when there are quote unquote, so many things to do in Israel. We couldn't possibly do them all. Um, but Maxi was talking a lot about the amazing technology that Israel has invented in terms of desalination and the incredible challenges of living in a water-scarce area, um, which to me just seems like the perfect opportunity to curiously ask about how water is distributed throughout the country um, when we know that people in Gaza and the West Bank do not always have access to water. And in fact, I think the average is about four hours a day of water in Gaza. 
So I raised my hand on the bus and it asked Maxie exactly that. Um, how is water distributed throughout the country, including the occupied territories? And he immediately shut me down. It was jarring how quickly he said, that's completely irrelevant. Why would you ask me this question? Um, and refused to talk to me on the mic and insisted that I come up to the front of the bus and talk to him privately. So I, I just knew that despite this being advertised and despite his insistence that, that this is an opportunity for us to ask questions and discover this country, um, that there were only certain questions that were acceptable. Um, and my friend who was on the trip with me also tried to ask about water and was yelled at by Maxi um, in front of everyone on the bus for asking something that was totally irrelevant and essentially blaming us for propaganda. What did he say when he was yelling? Um, it started by saying, we're in the north. Why would you ask me about the West Bank and Gaza? We're not there. And it very, very quickly escalated to the Palestinians don't think I should exist. So why should I care about their well-being? I was just really sh shocking. Yeah. Yeah. Um. It was a lot of anger and frustration and fear coming from him. And it was one of the first times that I had had someone say those types of things just explicitly to me. And I felt very unsafe having someone who's so much older who said that his musical instrument was an AK-47. Um, what? How'd you leave that part out? Oh, my Lord. I just remembered. Wow. To have someone like that sitting next to me screaming at me um, that I was asking totally inappropriate questions and that if I wanted to hear about the Palestinian perspective so badly, why didn't I go on it? Why doesn't Palestine have their own version of birthright? That that's not the point of Seems birthright. like a stupid question. Okay. Anyways. Yes. Continue. Mm -hmm. um, it was... It was tricky to navigate because I, unlike Beth, am not as much of a contrarian as I should be. And it's really hard for me to um, be disruptive and to question authority. But it just felt so inherently wrong. And I felt so um, stifled that I just, I tried to turn to my peers and say, do you, can you believe this? That this is the hatred coming out of our tour guide and for asking a simple question. And I would say one of the, one of the things that I shouldn't have surprised me, but did was realizing that although a lot of the people on the trip probably agreed with me that the occupation is wrong and that there are, you know, human rights crimes that are being issued that are occurring daily, um, that, that this was not the time. And I had roommates because, you, you know, you sleep in the same hotel rooms or whatever with a couple other people. I had roommates say, well, like, we're all against the occupation, but, like, maybe you should just, you know, stop bringing it up. It's clearly not going to go anywhere. That was That was alienating for me to feel a lack of support from my peers um, 
and especially when this this trip is advertised as an opportunity to connect with the American Jewish community. I can imagine. Um, yeah, I would say that the, um, you know, we continue to ask very basic questions and Maxie eventually got to the, the point where he said, you can ask about this when we're in Jerusalem and we have an expert come talk to you about the geopolitical situation. So my friend and I were like, all right, I guess we'll save our questions. And when we got to Kibbutzuba outside of Jerusalem, which is actually where I spent my summer when I was 16, um, so it was very bizarre to be back in that space, we had a presentation from Neil Lazarus, um, who has an international career with his company Awesome Seminars, which I think is a funny name. Um and is trained to teach people how to defend the state of Israel at all costs. So he was our geopolitical expert, and he led a very humorous presentation, supposedly illustrating the nuances of the Israeli-Palestinian situation, which is the occupation, although I don't know that he ever used that word. And my peers totally bought it. The other people on the trip thought he was funny and charming. And there were a couple of people who know a lot about the occupation who were a little bit more critical, but overall thought that he did a good job. And my friend and I were sitting there in utter shock that this man could show two different portrayals of Palestinians. One was a jihadist um, extremist, and the other was an angry Palestinian rapper talking about how he doesn't want justice, he wants revenge, and say, there, I've shown you the nuance of the Palestinian community. It was atrocious. Um, and yeah, I don't even know what yeah. to say. Yeah, wow. I think I think he really framed the situation, the occupation, as, um, you know, people don't understand how complicated it is. And the complication is that the Palestinians don't all get along and don't know what they want. And it's their fault. I think that was that was the theme of, you know, the to the extent that we had political conversations on my birthright trip, which was very minimal. And I will also say that I was. Uh, 18, I might have just turned 19, or I turned 19 on birthright. But I was fairly young, and, um, I probably missed some stuff. I mean, I just was not as well informed as I am now. Um, but the gist of the conversations we had were, well, it's really too complicated for us to talk about here. Absolutely. That's it. And it's too complicated. Yeah. And that's a tactic used to shut people down and make them feel like they can't participate in a conversation when human lives being destroyed is not complicated. And I can tell you for a fact that it's not part of my Jewish values. So you had uh Neil Lazarus hour and then I did. what happened? 
Um, I was fairly riled up after that because I, the question and answer part of that presentation was very short and he was not very, um, willing to engage in some of the more critical questions. And so we all went to dinner in the dining hall at Suba and our tour guide Maxie started talking about the itinerary for the next day. We, it was going to, that happened on a Thursday. The next day was Friday. We were going to go into Jerusalem for the day before Shabbat began. And the Israeli soldiers who were going to join our trip would meet us in Jerusalem. And I just felt like exhausted and very alienated and isolated after four days of being told, wait to ask any questions until the right time. Um, and when we finally got to that quote unquote right time, we were shut down. It was the, the messaging was so clearly propaganda to me. And yet it, I guess maybe it was subtle enough that, um, maybe not subtle. It felt apolitical in a way. Um, and I guess I would argue that being apolitical is a political choice. Um, so I raised my hand and asked Maxie, you know, it's great that we're going to be joined by Israeli soldiers, but we have not heard any other perspectives. Um, will we be able to talk to Palestinians when we're in Jerusalem? And that is maybe not explicitly, but against birthright policy to be able to go into occupied Jerusalem, into the West Bank. Um, and Maxie stormed over to me in front of everyone in the dining hall and shouted, you want to talk to Palestinians? Why don't you talk to Mahmoud Abbas? And I immediately knew that we were not going to be having a very um, constructive conversation. And he continued to berate me and my friend for coming on this trip, for having given him a hard time the entire time we had been there and asking why we had decided to come on birthright, because this is about the Jewish perspective. Um, so at that point, I knew that I was not welcome on the trip. My friend and I felt really unsafe and our trip leaders didn't intervene at all. Everyone just watched, um, and went back to eating their dinner. And one of the employees in the dining hall overheard this whole exchange and ended up coming over to me and my friend and offering to talk to us because he heard that it was important for us to talk to Palestinians and he, um, and just hear about, you know, the Arab perspective instead of just the Jewish perspective, whatever that means, um, and to share his experience. So luckily my friend and I got to talk to him after dinner, but to me it felt, it felt like a crime to, not expose everyone on the trip to that. Like the point wasn't just that my friend and I get educated and hear another voice. It feels well, uh, so much bigger. Can I ask than you that. at this point? Uh, I, I guess sort of selfishly, I'm just wondering. Uh, at this point, uh, it, was it worth it? Would you say to uh, to challenge these people that uh, you know, even though they're not going to listen to you, uh, do you think like ultimately, like uh, it, it was worthwhile to, to sort of stick up for for your beliefs? 
think that's such a good question. And I, I think that I could not possibly have sat on that trip for 10 days and not said things and not fought back because it just, it felt so antithetical to who I am as a Jew. Um, and I, I feel that it is incredibly harmful and political to have all of these people, young people come to a country and not understand to have such a one-sided perspective of a country and have that be for so many people, the only time they'll ever get to go to Israel. Um, that just seems so dangerous to me. So I, I think it was worth it. I think that our, the questions my friend and I asked resonated with a lot of people on the trip. And they often said, Rachel always asked really good questions. Um, and people were afraid to ask the question. So I think I had to be that noisy person. And I recognize that not everyone is in a position where they feel like they can do that. Um, can I but ask I a also, question? Yeah, of course. So Birthright makes you sign this contract that's like, I will not break the rules. 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 And um, if you do break the rules, you are liable to pay for the entire trip, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how did you, how much was that? And how did you end up being able to pay for it? Um, I'm just yeah. thinking about the way that economics factor into who's able to make these decisions. Absolutely. Um, so we, my friend and I walked off the next morning because we asked if we could go talk to Palestinians on our free time. And instead of saying yes, we were told that if we want to leave, we can leave. So we left, but in order to do that, they insisted saving the birthright office in Israel that we sign contracts or basically, I don't know exactly what it was, but some sort of waiver that acknowledged that we were leaving and that we would be liable and that birthright was done being responsible for us. And we were sort of threatened that if we didn't sign them, that they would call the police on us, Um, which is, yeah, that is captured in the live stream. If you had any interest in watching our confrontation that Friday morning. Um, Yeah, I will find it and add it to the end of the episode as audio. Absolutely. Um, So we signed the paperwork and they told us that our flights would be canceled, um, which is a substantial amount of money. Obviously, that is incredibly expensive. Um, But we, at that point, had been connected with folks and if not now in the United States who helped us fundraise. And I have to say that Birthright is not incredibly organized. So I'm not sure that they ever canceled our flights. We ended up getting new flights home, but we also were supposed to lose our deposits, which is $250. And that's a substantial amount of money. Um, I got my deposit back. So I don't know that our information that we <laughs> had walked off ever made it into their documentation. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And you are the other thing here is you're not the first person to walk off. There were a handful of 
pretty public walk-offs the summer before. Um, Exactly. And I will say that I think birthright was, they were definitely aware and concerned that that walk-offs may have continued because two days before we arrived in Israel, birthright issued a statement or adjusted their policies saying that you are not allowed to hijack a trip for political agendas. And I think we were sort of approaching. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we were sort of approaching that line, I imagine. Um, And then two days after we walked off, three people were kicked off of their trip, as many people might know. Um, And that was the first time Birthright had enforced that new policy. For asking a single question about whether or not the wall that they were driving past was the border wall and how it looked like Trump's wall. Wow. Yeah. Sorry for the monologue. That was a lot. No, this is why you're here. It's to monologue. Um, Seth, do you have any questions for either of us about birthright or our experiences Uh, on it? Um, What you should expect, etc.? Yeah, well, uh, I I guess sort of at this point, uh, I'm just sort of torn between whether to take this opportunity to sort of rabble rouse politically and, 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 you know, uh, you know, be, a, be, uh, you know, I'm not going to change any tour guides minds, I'm sure, but maybe talk to the people on, on the trip I'm with and try to, I don't know, try to get people to think more critically about it. But, uh, I mean, if it's this much of an uphill battle, I guess I am really just considering just treating it like a vacation, which I guess is sort of a narcissistic impulse. Like there's a real, you know, problem here that I, I might be able to, in some small way, change. But I guess it's just such a, a daunting thing to even try to do. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm just sort of torn on how to approach this trip now. I think from my experience on a couple of, I mean, I went on birthright. I went on another trip the year after um, that was tougher uh, on me emotionally, at least. Um, I think one of the things that I found is you're not going to get very mm-hmm. much sleep. Um, you're going to be very tired, and if something tweaks you, I think it's pretty unlikely that you're going to be able to keep a lid on those feelings, because it's a very emotionally intense experience, the whole thing. Um, so I think you may not have a choice if you're a, a person with contrarian tendencies, um, it might not be worth fighting those, because it might be mm-hmm. very challenging. I think I think I'll add that I recognize that my experience was specific to my trip and my ability to respond the way I did because I wasn't facing a lot of the same risks that other people may um, and vulnerabilities. You know, the the friend that I went with, um, his family was not incredibly supportive of his decision to walk off, and I I want to acknowledge that people have so many different situations and I'm not saying that this is the only way you have to go. Um, And I also want to say that this is not, my action is not going to change the occupation in Israel. Um, That there are so many people on the ground doing really important work. And I was lucky to get connected with some of them while I was there, but it's certainly a fair question of like what risks um, 
are worthwhile for people to take on. And that's really an individual. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, I, I can't afford to lose this deposit, I guess is, I, I, I know that that probably sounds terrible, but that, that really is my, my first thought. Like, oh gosh, I really can't um, afford this, this trip otherwise. Well, I mean, if you do something that causes you to lose your deposit, I will help oh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. To pay for it. Um, I will yeah, they're absolutely to make sure that that gets handled. I guess I would recommend as like a... I mean, are you doing anything when you come back after? Uh, just wor- just working, uh, staying uh, where I go to school for the summer and everything. I mean, if I were you, I would consider maybe staying after the trip and going on like a Breaking the Silence tour or something like that. If you have the opportunity mm-hmm. while you're there um, to experience a second kind of perspective. I don't want to say the other perspective, because clearly, as evidenced by this conversation... Uh, pro-occupation is not necessarily the Jewish perspective. Um, it's a lot more complicated than that. Seth, what, which like genre of birthright trip I, are you I on? I think it's it's just um, I, I'm flying out of O'Hare, and I think it's just the Chicago trip. Uh, I don't think it's it, it's like a themed one oh, okay. or anything. That's okay. I think the themes are uh, mostly in the advertising. Because I went on Israel Outdoors, which was supposed to be outdoorsy and involve, like, hiking and uh, biking and stuff. And I'm not convinced that I did any more hiking than any of the other birthright trips do. Um, Like, we seem to do the, you know, the hiking spots that everyone does, but not not much more. Yeah, that is, um, it is sort of weird that they sort of do themes, I guess. I I, I thought that was... A strange part on on birthright's choice uh it, it sort of felt like a like a i'm eight and i'm going to a birthday party and i'm choosing do i want a cowboy one or or, or a space one like a i don't it seems like a, a weird marketing decision on their part i guess do i want the gay one <laughs> do i want the outdoors one do i want the nightlife one i think that there's a um entertainment industry one for some reason and also That's these weird. are all these are all mutually exclusive options. You can't have queer and outdoors yes. or queer and no, party. no. Oh, that would be a fun trip. I'm gonna. I mean, we have a couple minutes. I'm gonna give you the the high points, somewhat jokingly, of what I ex- uh, somewhat seriously of what I expect will happen on your birthright trip. These are my predictions, and then afterwards, I would love to hear how many of them are accurate. You can make a drinking <laughs> game out of it. Because you can drink in Israel. Oh, there uh, is there is birthright bingo if you want to find that on the If Not Now Ooh, website. Nice. I will Google it. Oh, hell yeah. Um, okay, these are my predictions. One, the first thing they say to you when you get on the bus will be shalom and then welcome home. Okay. Two, they will take you to a kibbutz where they will feed you yogurt or cheese and then you will all get on the bus, which is a really strange decision to do with... Uh, 40 mostly Ashkenazi Jews um, who are largely lactose intolerant. Um, you will be heavily encouraged to uh, have romantic relationships with one of the four Israeli soldiers on your trip. In fact, there will be two boys and two girls in that group. Um, That's a... Four plus people on your trip will purchase a Ooh. hookah. Um... 
Let's see. What else? Um, Are you coming up with these on the top of your head? Because they're very good. I am coming up with these off the top of my head. Do you have any you want to add? Mm. You will listen to a lot of Hebrew songs on the bus as you are shepherded around from place to place. Yes. You will learn like three Hebrew words and be expected to sort of repeat them in unison with everyone else on the bus um, pretty regularly. Uh, and then there's some like obviously obvious ones like you're gonna eat some shawarma. It'll taste great. It'll not be good for your insides. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll get a sunburn. Don't do not do not do not pee in the Dead Sea. <laughs> but someone on your trip will. And you will watch them do some really interesting maneuvers trying to rinse off the inside of their shorts. Uh, I haven't heard this before, so I'm glad I'm I'm getting that information now. Oh, okay. They will tell you that when you get there. Mm -hmm. Don't pee, because um, it's very salty, and I think the salt goes back up. Um, (laughs) Not to be gross, but I think that um, it's not good. Okay. Don't do that. Um, But someone will, and... They will probably have to, like, sort of contort themselves under the outdoor showers to deal with the situation they've created. They'll probably yell a lot. Uh, okay, I feel like that's it. That's it for my expectations for your birthright trip. Well, it, it's... Uh, I, you should also know it, that there will be an armed guard who is on your bus with you. Like, the whole time? Yes. That is bizarre. Okay. Is that, like... Do they re- do they earnestly think that's necessary? Is that like an aesthetic choice to get us yes. used to the military? Oh, huh. Oh, good question. Uh, I think both. Yeah, our armed guard uh, was not very well behaved, and he checked his uh, gun at the hotel while we were in Jerusalem for like four days, and then just got like riotously drunk with everyone. Well, you know, I never. Uh... I never went to Jewish summer camp as a kid, so it sounded like this is just, this is just, they're sort of trying to make it that just plus, like, drinking and trying to get you to sleep with people, which I guess is also Jewish summer camp. Yes. That's exactly That's it. true. Uh, the, the Bedouin tent experience is going to be very strange and a little, like, pretty racist, and um, also, you know, if you get a bunch of, like, 18 and 19 year olds and tell them they can just like sleep on the ground wherever they want under this tent. It's going to be a weird time. Uh, this sounds like it's going to be a, a, I guess just bizarre. I don't even know. The whole thing. I don't even know what I think anymore. I'm just, uh, this is going to be weird. <laughs> okay. Think- well, do you have any more questions? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Rachel. I think that that highlights the, the oddity and just, the artificial nature of birthright perfectly that Bedouin tent experience Um, because the entire trip is manufacturing um, your understanding of Israel. It's hashtag a free trip um, or hashtag not just a free trip, but the, the whole goal is to make you feel very connected both to the land and the country and to the people you're with and the Jewish community um, I would say that the most connected, the most meaningful part of the trip for me were the moments after I walked off where I was not in some cultivated experience, but actually had genuine conversations with people 
um, both organizers in Jerusalem and people living in the occupied land in Palestine. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I just offer that. Yeah. I will definitely make an effort to uh, not just do whatever the, the tour guide sort of tell us is the thing to do. It. Uh, I, I'm glad. I'm glad I, I've been told all this. So I, you know, don't just fall into the summer campiness of it. Yeah. I mean, I think the last point uh, I want to make is, you know, we alluded to the hashtag, not just a free trip um, campaign, which is an if not now campaign. There's also a campaign running right now that's hashtag uh, break up with birthright. So there's uh, people who are going online, recording videos of themselves, basically destroying their birthright registrations um, in protest. I know that the um, walk-offs last summer and this winter have maybe been a factor in this, but Birthright um, has had a very significant decrease in registrations this for this summer. I think they had, some of the tours had as few as uh, 50% of their normal applications. Um, so, you know, I guess to counter what you said, Rachel, I think it does have an impact in some ways. I think that people are, you know, beginning to understand that this trip is maybe not all it's cracked up to be, or at least, you know, you're not exactly getting something for free. You're being asked to consent to occupation in return, basically. Um, thank you both so much for being on this and talking with me. This has been a really interesting conversation. Um, before we go, is there anything that you would like to plug Seth? Uh, no, I'm okay. Uh, I think I'll try to keep a, a journal of just all the weird stuff that happens while I'm there. And, uh, I'd be happy to, to send that to you, to you guys once, uh, once I am back. Oh, that'd be great. Also, you are more than welcome. You have the phone number for the Google voice. You're more than welcome to call in and leave voicemail messages if you're feeling stressed out and you just want to like get your thoughts out and we'll compile those. That would be really interesting. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, Rachel, you got anything you want to plug? I just want to say, Seth, like, we've been there. There's a community of people who've been there. And if you need anyone to talk to as you're experiencing this or you just want to vent, whatever it is, please feel free to reach out because it's, it's overwhelming and you're sleep deprived. And also there are parts of it that are really fun and um, just always here if you want to talk through it. I appreciate that. All right, great. Thank you both so much. Uh, this is the end of the episode. And this is when I say thanks for listening and that uh, you should share the episode with your friends and family and other people who are going on Birthright or maybe everyone you went on Birthright with. I know that you probably have a Facebook group for that. Um, our show is produced by myself, Jenny Walkup, uh, with assistance from Kirby Jays, and our audio design is done by Kirby Jays. Our music is from Bread Internet. You can find their work at breadinter.net. Cool. Thanks so much, guys. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's just a matter of signing the waiver. We can do that. Okay. Uh, I'm going to figure out exactly what the necessary steps are now. Uh, would you guys be able, just so we're closer to the bus, 
and timing wise, can we just move towards the lobby? Is that possible? Yeah, yeah, right yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. All right, thank you. So that's it. Where I just don't understand why there's only one acceptable version of yeah. the truth, and that's the birth rate, true. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that's it. We're we're walking off. I mean, we can wait and see what they say. I mean, it's. I think we got the answer, but. Should we walk over? Yeah, let's walk over. This is Rachel and Harry, and we're, um, we were talking to Jamie about uh, leaving our trip because we are, we're refusing to. Yes. Hi, hi, can I just send you one and three? Sorry? What? Can you repeat that? Can you hear me? Yes, can you repeat what you said? Yeah, I understand you want to leave the group? Um, yeah, um, we... Well, I think we would like to be able to go talk to... Palestinians and hear more perspectives about the occupation. Wait, 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 just a second. Uh, I want to tell you a few things. Uh, actually, my name is Ivan. I'm from the office of Israel Outdoors. Um, first, you have to know that's fine if people want to leave. People are leaving groups from a lot of reasons. I don't know. They have problems with the group. They have problems with the program. They have personal problems at home. That's fine. People can leave the groups. You're not in jail. People can, in general, leave the group from a lot of freedom, and that's fine. But we should do it in a process, okay? In a process. Don't worry. If you really want to go, we will let you go. But you can't just wake up in the morning, get your suitcase, and run away, okay? And leave. We're not going to do it, okay? If you're going to do it, you're a tourist in Israel. You're under our responsibility. You're in a in a in a group activity as tourists, okay? You're under our um, responsibility. If you're gonna leave now, we will call the police. And we're gonna we're gonna open a. You're gonna call the police? Wait wait a second, okay? We're gonna open a file because it's like um, we will we we 
to, to be worried, okay? So if you want to leave, that's fine. It will take maybe, I don't know, a few minutes, maybe one hour. You will talk to your guide. We will make some documents, and then you will probably be able to leave, okay? That's the first thing. Wait, so are you yeah. saying that if we... If we want to talk to Palestinians, then we'll, you'll file a police report and we have to leave? I can't hear you. Can you repeat it? You repeat it. Yeah. Are you saying that if we want to leave, then we... Then you're, if we want to talk to Palestinians at all, yeah, are that we the only option is to leave? I, I, I'm not even sure about that, okay? You, you need to be patient. It's okay. I understand there is, but you have some... Um, you have some... Um, Will or you want to talk with uh, about these issues? And actually, I can tell you that it's not a bad thing. Okay, it makes sense. That's fine. That's okay. But try to be patient and talk to officers. Talk to your guys. Okay. I think Maxi is an amazing guy. He's an amazing guy. He's an amazing person. Okay. Um, I think it's even not too respectful to leave the group without talking to him. We've been talking, we've been trying to talk to him for the past three days, and he's shut us down every single time. We can talk We're to happy him. to talk to but Maxi, but he yells at us every yell- time we do. And there seems to be this trend of, like, every time we ask a tough question or ask a question about the occupation or, or Palestinians, um, that uh, we shouldn't talk about it in front of the group. We should just have a private conversation about it, um, or we shouldn't ask about it at all. And so I, I'm really confused as to where all this is coming from. <laughs> Such an important, if it's such an important issue and topic um, in Israel, Palestine, like why then, like why isn't that included in like the most influential program and trip? Let me finish. Let me finish the talk. Just a second. That's, that's right. It's, it's an important issue. We have 
understand what you mean when you say that we should stay on the trip more. Yeah, I'll help you. Okay, Ma- Max is here. Max is here. Okay. Yuval, Yuval, welcome to the Max. Tell me the telephone at five minutes. Okay, I'm going to try to get them. And if not, I'll get them. This is our tour guide, Max. Okay. Let's go. Listen, guys, I understand yes. 100%. I understand that you want to uh, interact with Palestine and see everything and learn. That is 100% okay. I'll tell you what are the difficulties. Jerusalem is so expensive. So if you live today on Friday and you want to find a hotel, that'll cost you. And uh, it's raining 
and you don't have connection to anyone specifically. We've, we've made connections with people. Ah, you made connections. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. So there, there is someone who will take care of you? Yes. Sure. And you, you're sure with the embassy, everything? Yes. Yes. 100%. It's all fine. And you would like to leave today? And I mean, it yes. sounds like we're not able to go to East Jerusalem with and, the group, and, right? And talk to Palestinians with the group. No way. We are, it's a close frame. Everyone is insured. I have so many eyes on me. It's not allowed strictly. So what are we doing? Why isn't it allowed? You said, you said it's not allowed. Because of stabbing. Stabbing? Yeah. In the old city, you know how many people were stabbed? Is that they, like a regular thing that happens? There are yeah, lots of people, yeah, yeah. and like Jews and Israelis, yeah, almost every week, go all the time, every week, every week. There are clashes in the old city, small ones, but there are so many clashes. Listen, friends, my my idea is hundred percent okay. You came for specific reasons, and you should fulfill your your wishes, hundred percent with me. But you, uh, in that case, you leave the group, and you can do whatever you want. But you are no more part of the group. That's okay. That's, that's release smart. of responsibility by terms of insurance and everything. If you agree, so today you want to come with us or not? I have to know because the, I'm delaying the whole group. We can't. We can't. We like like I, we said. We, listen, we feel listen. that we cannot go and continue on this trip unless we're going to actually like learn about the occupation and talk to Palestinians. Okay. Um, and and so okay, it's okay, like very okay, clear okay, that okay, okay, okay. Let's make it like that. We go now um, to the bus. You'll sign me the paper, release of responsibility. You go to the hotel, and you can do whatever you want. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Okay. I hope so. And take care of yourself, please. Thank you. And learn and find out facts and all that. And if you have good connections to, to people that will help you. Yes. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, you might lose your flight back, and uh, you have to pay... Uh, maybe there was a deposit or something. That yeah, it's all worth it. Hundred percent. Okay, then. In that case, let's go sign it. Okay. Thank Come you. Come on, guys. And also, we farewell in a nice way from the group. Okay. And, uh, that would be nice. And then you have room keys and everything. Yeah, so we you can, can. You can get your gear and everything. Hundred percent, guys. Uh, I think that's Jamie's phone. That's not mine. Uh, who's Jamie's? Jamie's? Okay. Come, 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 buddies. Jamie's okay. phone. Who takes care about you uh, when you leave? Um, we have a friend in All That's Left. In um, where? All That's Left. We were connected um, with somebody in All That's Left. Uh, an organization. You're connected. Somebody takes care of you. Yeah, somebody oh, takes care of you. Okay. And uh, if you, if you want to learn and see, uh, next to Ramallah, go see the, the future, the positive future, the new city, which the Palestinian built just now. Birwa. Amazing. Mm. And also, if, uh, if you have a chance, see the refugee camps, see the situation, talk to people, but try to talk to locals, mm -hmm. not through the American eyes of the BDS or so on. Yes, yeah, that's, that's the plan. Um, but I guess I'm just you're encouraging us to go do this. Like, why can't we do this as a group, you know? Like, why can't, why doesn't Birthright you ever can arrange such a group and do that? But why, why does Birthright never? I, I tell like, you why again, is that the it's not the role of Why do have Jews to pay money for people who are denying my existence in Israel? Very simple. I told you yesterday. I, uh, just a second. Denying his existence in Israel. Yeah, they just left. Jets, Grams, and Rachel. Oh.
Slippery. Yeah, I'm happy to take it. Yeah.